Welcome to the Mental Health Podcast. I'm Tim and I invite you to join me to talk about men's mental health. Before we begin, a brief disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional in any shape or form. I'm just a man who wants to share his own journey and discovery of mental health. This is episode one and I've just hit record for the seventh time, so let's hope this one sticks. Well, let's jump right into it. Men's mental health is a very important and yet, unfortunately, very um, little talked about topic. Um, and for various reasons, I will address more within the next episodes, um, but you can also find more information on the website men-tell-health.com um, men when men's mental health is talked about it is unfortunately quite often um, during a conversation about the mental health of other groups usually minority groups because a lot of men feel that or find it difficult to navigate their own space in um, in a world that has maybe changed a bit too quickly for their liking. So let's create this space to talk about men's mental health. But why, again, is that so important to give this space? To put this into perspective, it can be helpful to look at some of the statistical facts that are out there um, about men's mental health. Um, the data I'm providing comes from the Men's Health Forum, um, um, from a survey done in 2016 and 2017. Many of the numbers I'm about to um, talk about apply to the majority of Western countries and it can be assumed, reasonably assumed, that post-pandemic, um, quotation marks, um, those numbers will have been exacerbated. Now, why is talking about men's mental health important? Well, number one, over three quarters of people who kill themselves are men. Three quarters. Men report significantly lower life satisfaction. And especially between the ages of 45 and 59, they are the age group and the gender, or sex, I should say, that is the least satisfied with their life. Almost three quarters of people that go missing are men. Almost 90% of rough sleepers are men. That is people that sleep on the street, that do not have a permanent home, sleep in shelters. Men are almost three times more likely than women to become alcohol dependent and are three times more likely to use drugs and die because of that illegal drug use. Almost 95% in the UK and similarly with 1% or 2% less in the US and Germany um, of the population in prison is made up by men. Men are nearly 50% more likely to be detained and treated compulsory as psychiatric inpatients. Men commit almost 86% of violent crimes. Of course, there is a discussion to be had how um, those numbers correlate with 
the way men are treated or behave. Um, but this is not the time. It will be discussed in future episodes. So stay tuned if that's not too morbid to say at this point. Now, these numbers are shocking to me when I read them for the first time. But not because I didn't expect them, but because they were so much higher than I thought they, was going to, they were going to be. And again, the question that needs to be asked is, why are these numbers so high? Why are men so much worse off in regards to mental health? Well, I believe one of the biggest issues is that men are not taught to talk about it, men are not encouraged to talk about it, and men have no space to talk it, because, talk about it, because they have just such a lower access to the support of friends and family and relatives in the community, because, and especially in the times we're living in right now, men are taught to be alpha males, to be the the soul, the lone wolf that solves everyone's problems and doesn't have any of their own. Or if they do, they're hushed up, they're not talked about, and they're solved in silence. And they're suffered in silence. And while I probably, for everyone who knows me, um, was never considered to be an alpha male or a very you know, manly man, um, even though I do look it, I'm, because uh, you're not a visual medium, you can't see me, but I am a, a big, bald, bearded man um, with a reasonably low voice, so my appearance is very manly um, in what society regards as a man. I don't see myself, I never have seen myself as a very, very manly man, and I myself have found and still find myself in a very similar situation. Just a few years ago, I had um, I had friends. I mean, I still have friends, but even though I had friends, um, and many of them, I very rarely talked to them about what problems I had, what was wrong with me. I um, went through a period, or a very challenging period in my life, which uh, will be topic of um, a future episode, um, but I had no one to talk to. Not because they weren't there, because there was nobody available, but because it wasn't encouraged. There was no history of anyone ever talking to me about their problems, so I did not feel I had the right to talk to someone else about my problems. And it wasn't seen or heard of, even in media. What you saw were men who fixed things, men who took up problems and challenges and just overcame them and did it all by themselves. The self-made man, the person that can fix everything and the father who deals with every problem of every person in their family, even though obviously we know that's not true. Um, the self-made millionaire or billionaire even, even though we also know that that is not true. Um, and just generally, men don't cry. Men don't talk. Men do things. Men fight. Men go and create something great and then feel good about themselves. Um, and men have uh, endless sex and 
drink, men do um, output things, men go out, men uh, build stuff, men discover things, men solve things, men fix other people's problems, um, and they lead and they're just, you know, they don't fuss, they do things, they don't talk, they don't cry, they don't moan, they don't weep, they just get on with it, they swallow it, preferably with alcohol, or they numb it by taking drugs, having sex, um, smoking, drinking, doing incredibly amounts of exercise, um, or bullying other people. But they don't talk about their own problems. And not only with this podcast, but also with other aspects of my life, I want to change that because I see it as a problem that is deeply rooted within our society and that leads to many, many other problems that we talked about more in the course of this podcast. Now, I'm sure that the one or two listeners I have um, might be wondering how I, how this change came about, what happened to me. Um, because, as I said, I didn't have a... or I didn't think I could talk about my problems with anyone. Um, so why would I start a podcast and just talk to strangers about it? I mean, fair, talking to strangers is sometimes much easier than talking to your friends and family and loved ones. But no, well... Let's go back a bit. My journey towards a better understanding of my own mental health and men's mental health and general mental health um, started, tangibly started for me on New Year's Day in 2019. In the evening of New Year's Day 2019, I sat down with my partner and played a round of Spongebob Monopoly, <laughs> uh, which we bought a few weeks or month, I don't actually recall when exactly we bought it, but we bought it at flea market for two euros, what a bargain. Um, it was a Spongebob themed uh, Monopoly set. Um, I have never watched Spongebob, but uh, my partner was a fan, is a fan, still the same partner. And we um, sat down, we played Monopoly, and maybe halfway through, maybe an hour in, I don't actually remember when it happened, but I cried. I burst out crying, heaving, sobbing. Um, and of course, my partner was completely taken aback because why? Why did I suddenly start crying? I mean, I wasn't losing, or maybe I was losing, but clearly losing at Monopoly. Uh, shouldn't be a reason to just whore out um, tears and cry and I couldn't actually verbalize what it was until a few minutes in because all I could think of this was that I didn't want to die I just I didn't want to die I wasn't dying in the moment but the idea that one day one day I will be dead one day I will take my last breath and it will be gone and everything I do is basically pointless because it will end in me being dead anyways, was this weight that I, as I later discovered, been carrying around for a long time before this uh, this moment. But it crushed me. It finally crushed me sitting there playing Monopoly. Uh, the year before I would finally turn 30, um, the year 
my last year in my 20s, the year where I needed to accomplish everything. That was my state of mind. Not only was I going to die at some point, but I hadn't accomplished anything that I wanted to accomplish by that time or thought I needed to accomplish um, because society had told me to accomplish this. And, and I felt this weight inside me and this sadness that was accompanied by despair and yet nothing. I felt sad and nothing at the same time. Um, and I cried and I cried and I cried and I couldn't stop. There was no stopping me. My partner was very, after the initial confusion, um, very understanding. You know, she just hugged me and asked me what was going on and we talked and as someone, um, my partner studies to be a um, social worker, um, so is very knowledgeable when it comes to mental health issues, um, and very quickly realized that this was not a momentary thing. This was not just me in the moment being not able to cope with anything and it would just go away. Um, because it very rarely does. When this happens, it very rarely does. And when feelings of sadness or even nothingness or despair or anxiety continue for a long time even though you change the situation you're in um, they will most likely not go away so once I calmed down she encouraged me to look into um, getting help because she made it clear that she couldn't because she her role is my partner not my therapist um, like my role is not to fix everything and not to take the burden of everything on me, but it's you know a different story. Um, yeah, she encouraged me to get help, to look into therapists, and because I had the luck or the fortune to have been introduced to therapy early in my life um, as a child when my uh, we moved a lot and I had difficulties integrating, and my mother wanted to know why, so I went to a child therapist for a few sessions. And also a few years earlier, I had trouble sleeping, though there were, was a very, um, the issue I actually had that was I was suffering from was not my lack of sleep, but something else that will come about in a future episode. So stay tuned, keep you interested. <laughs> um, I went for three sessions at a therapist before. Um, I, uh, I live in Germany, I'm German. And in Germany, you have the... Um, possibility if you are um, insured with a um, public health insurance. We have a two-tiered um, insurance system in Germany where it's private and public. Um, private is if you are either a, well, it depends on how much money you make and how you're employed in different circumstances, but I'm publicly um, insured and with this insurance I have the opportunity to go to therapy and have the therapist after three sessions um, evaluate whether or not it would be a good idea for me to have long-term therapy or not. And at that time, the therapist after the third session said that it might not be necessary. So I didn't have any further therapy at that time. It was three years before the Monopoly evening, as uh, as we've come to tell, um, to refer to the, uh, to the moment, the New Year's Day. Um, yes, she encouraged me to get therapy and even though I did have previous experiences with therapists, I was hesitant um, because how would a therapist help me? 
I mean, the therapist couldn't change the fact that I was going to die. The therapist wasn't going to change the fact that I was going to turn 30 within a year. A 13 or 13. Um, therapist wasn't going to change the fact that for the past 29 years, or 28, no, no, yes, 29 years, <laughs> math, weird, um, I hadn't done all the things I wanted to have done by that time in my life. I hadn't achieved all the things that society said I would have needed to achieve by that time. Um, wouldn't have made me financially more stable. Would have, wouldn't have made me uh, finish my degree earlier. Wouldn't have made me um, the person I thought I had to be because I thought I wasn't the person um, I wanted to be at the time. Um, which made it very difficult at first to see any benefit I would gain from therapy. Um, especially since, you know, now I had verbalized these fears uh, for the first time. I had uh, spoken to someone um, that loved me and was understanding and was supportive and it didn't go away. So I've done something I had never done before. Um, something that, you know, you're to told offhand to yeah, talk about your problems, you know, then it would be better. So I had done all that, I thought. Um, but it still hadn't been better. It still didn't fix it in an instant. So how would a therapy do it if therapy would just do the same? I would sit with a therapist and talk about what's going on. Um, like I did then. And the therapist would just listen and probably ask me questions and probe. And I would have to, you know, tell them embarrassing stories about me and tell them the the fears of being a complete and utter failure. And then have this person who could possibly be younger than me, um, or not much older, um, or very much older, just laugh and not take me seriously because I didn't take me seriously. I knew that my, or, well, I didn't know that what I was feeling was not valid. It was not a valid fear, but I... I wanted it to be because everyone had the same problems. I wasn't different. I wasn't worse off than anyone. I was better off than most people in the world. And I was very aware of the privilege I was living. I'm living in the Western uh, country. I had a roof over my head. I had food on my table. And yeah, I had struggled with, you know, affording my life. Um, but still, I had a. I was living in a society that had the social um, constructs going on. Or a social support system that wouldn't have let me just starve. Hopefully, well, we see now how oh, that may not be the case anymore. Anyways, um, I'm going off topic, which will probably happen more often in this podcast. So if you can't deal with that, I am very sorry. Um, just use the forward button until I'm at a point where you can listen to me talking about topic again. Um, anyways, so much about that. I was at a point where I knew something needed to change but I didn't want to do the work because I didn't think it would actually work and why did I know something had to change because um, you may not want to call me out and say but I didn't really want to do it and I didn't actually think anything was wrong um, because the feeling I had for the first time even though in retrospect I can say that I felt that way many many times before and I will get into that in a future episode again um, I didn't want to feel like that anymore. I wanted the feelings to stop because the feelings I knew was gonna do bad things to me. And I knew, and I was 
very fortunate to be able to still think that way, even though I was in a depressed phase and I was having very depressive thoughts and depressive feelings. I was fortunate enough to still have the being not entirely overwhelmed by these feelings, which I later was and at some point in my life um, had been. Um, but at that moment I wasn't and I could still think that I want help and I want to change. And that was a very important catalyst that needs to happen. Um, because if you do not want to change, if you do not want to do the work, it is very difficult for anything to be better. And that is not to say that it is not difficult or that the hesitancy and the feeling of despair and the feeling of nothing will ever change is not valid because it is. But nobody can fix it for us. We have to fix it ourselves. And how I fixed or didn't fix anything will be um, the topic of next week's episode. For now, I thank you all for listening. This was the first episode. Um, and I've planned a 10-episode arc of uh, my journey and the things that were going on with me. But after that, I would very much like to talk with my listeners, with you, about you and what's going on with you and what you think about my journey, what you think about your own journeys, where you are in your journeys, what you think about men's mental health, um, anything that comes to mind, anonymous, of course, um, please email me at the email in the show notes. Um, and I'm looking for very much forward to hearing from you. Until then, thank you again for listening. Um, if you liked the episode, if you want this to continue, please um, rate the podcast. It helps a lot. Share it with your friends and family and anyone you think could benefit from hearing and talking more about men's mental health. And I see you again next week. Well, I won't see you. I'll hear you next week. Goodbye.